Welcome to Poems for Company. I'm your host, Brian Dillon, and today I have dogs on my mind. In the Iliad by Homer, no individual dog plays a prominent role, but the Greeks and Trojans engaged in pre-combat vicious trash talk with their opponents. Often they predict to the person they confront on the plains of Troy, the person they intend to kill, that the defeated one's corpse will soon be food for the dogs. This is a most hateful threat. In the final books of the Iliad, Achilles, the Greeks' fiercest warrior, taunts the Trojan prince Hector. He says, the dogs and kites will rip your body. The title of today's episode of Poems for Company is Dogs and Homer. Homer's dog, other dogs. I'll read short excerpts from Homer, some poems that respond to Homer and his interest in dogs, and a couple of insightful poems that echo concerns Homer raises and enhance what we might think about dogs. Even if you're not a dog lover, you might find this episode intriguing. Let's return to the showdown between Achilles and Hector outside the walls of Troy. Achilles says, The dogs and kites will rip your body. Kites are hawks with bodies designed to tear their prey. According to ancient Greek principles, if the body is torn apart, the deceased soul would have a difficult passage to the afterlife. Bodies should be buried or placed on a funeral pyre. Hector knows this, and he pleads with Achilles, I beg you by your soul and by your parents, do not let the dogs feed on me in your encampment by the ships. He urges that his body instead be returned to his parents, so that our men and women may accord me decency of fire when I am dead. Achilles does not back down, but ratchets up his hostility. You'll have no bed of death, nor will you be laid out and mourned by her who gave you birth. Dogs and birds will have you every scrap. Spoiler alert, later we learn this does not happen. Though Achilles kills Hector, Aphrodite keeps the dogs away from Hector's corpse, and the corpse is returned to Hector's father. In addition to the presence of wild dogs roaming the battlefield after a conflict, hungry for any flesh, in the Iliad we learn that when Achilles sets up the funeral pyre for his close friend Patroclus, he kills two of Patroclus's nine hunting dogs to place alongside the burning corpse. It certainly sounds cruel, though it's meant as a way of paying respect to his dead friend. In the Odyssey, one dog does play a prominent role. Odysseus, sometimes labeled Ulysses, returns to his home island of Ithaca after a 20-year absence. For 10 years, he was engaged across the Aegean Sea in the Trojan War. 
the next decade, he spent both wandering on his unhurried way homeward and held captive by figures with divine powers, especially Calypso. But he makes his escape and with divine intervention crosses the wine-dark sea, returns to his home to reclaim his roles as husband, father, and king. His palace has been taken over by more than 100 lusty suitors competing for Queen Penelope's hand in marriage and the power such a status would bring to be married to Queen Penelope. Nearly half of the Odyssey deals with how Odysseus schemes to confront these lusty suitors once he's returned to his home island. The goddess Athena meets Odysseus in secret and physically transforms him so he may conquer the lusty suitors in his magically transformed appearance. Odysseus's hair has fallen out, his skin is wrinkled, his tunic tattered and stained. All those on the island who approach him think they're talking to an old stranger, a pathetic beggar who just washed ashore. In Book 17 of the Odyssey, Odysseus is led toward the royal palace by a loyal swineherder named Eumaeus. The passage I will read includes a dialogue between the two men, but Eumaeus does not realize he's talking to Odysseus. Neither Odysseus's wife, son, or any of the lusty suitors recognize him. There's one exception. One creature knows automatically he's returned. One figure with keen insight who recognizes Odysseus by his voice. Eumaeus advises caution about approaching the palace now taken over by the lusty suitors. Odysseus replies with much confidence. I learned to keep my head in hardship, years of war and years at sea. Let this new trial come. We then learn that while Odysseus spoke, an old hound lying near pricked up his ears and lifted up his muzzle. This was Argos, trained as a puppy by Odysseus, but never taken on a hunt before. His master had sailed for Troy. The young men, afterward, hunted wild goats with him, and hare, and deer, but he had grown old in his master's absence. Treated as rubbish now, he lay at last upon a mass of dung before the gates, manure of mules and cows piled there until field hands could spread it on the king's estate, abandoned there and half destroyed with flies, old Argos lay. But when he knew he heard Odysseus's voice nearby, he did his best to wag his tail, nose down, with flattened ears, having no strength to move nearer his master. And the man looked away, wiping a salt tear from his cheek. 
but he hid this from Eumaeus. Then Odysseus said, I marvel that they leave this hound to lie here on the dung pile. He would have been a fine dog from the look of him, though I can't say as to his power in speed when he was young. You find the same good build in house dogs, table dogs, landowners keep all for style. And you replied, Eumaeus, a hunter owned him, but the man is dead in some far place. If this old hound could show the form he had when Lord Odysseus left him going to Troy, you'd see him swift and strong. He never shrank from any savage thing he'd brought to bay in the deep woods. On the scent, no other dog kept up with him. Now misery has him in leash. His owner died abroad, and here the women's slaves will take no care of him. You know how servants are without a master. They have no will to labor or excel. For Zeus, who views the wide world, takes away half the manhood of a man. That day he goes into captivity and slavery. Eumaeus crossed the court and went straight forward into the Magaron among the suitors. But death and darkness in that instant closed the eyes of Argos, who had seen his master, Odysseus, after twenty years. That's a passage from Book 17 of Homer's The Odyssey. Homer attributes an auditory sensibility to Argos that allows the dog to penetrate Odysseus's disguise. This dog's emotional life seems as profound as any human's. Argos remembers he was initially raised by Odysseus and then abandoned when his master set sail for Troy. Eumaeus blames the slaves for not treating Argos with the care the creature deserves. Oddly, he does not blame Odysseus's son Telemachus for neglecting the dog, or even blame himself for not taking the dog with him to live in the fields by his hundreds of pigs. I knew a woman whose father died when she was young. After a few years passed, her family gathered together in the living room and in remembrance of the deceased father played a cassette tape of him speaking. The family dog, off in the kitchen, heard the voice, ran into the living room, looked at everyone sitting there, and wondered, where's the man who's speaking? The man who took me on so many walks and cared for me. Do dogs hear what humans can only imagine? Liesel Mueller's poem, what the dog perhaps hears, answers that question most assuredly. Her poem details a dog's sensory attachment to this world that humans will never achieve. This is Liesel Mueller's poem, What the Dog Perhaps Hears. 
if an inaudible whistle blown between our lips can send him home to us, then silence is perhaps the sound of spiders breathing and roots mining the earth. It may be asparagus heaving, head first, into the light, and the long brown sound of cracked cups when it happens. We would like to ask the dog if there is a continuous whirr because the child in the house keeps growing, if the snake really stretches full length without a click and the sun breaks through clouds without a decibel of effort, whether in autumn, when the trees dry up their wells, there isn't a shudder too high for us to hear. What is it like up there, above the shut-off level of our simple ears? For us, there was no birth cry. The newborn bird is suddenly here, the egg broken, the nest alive. And we heard nothing when the world changed. That's Lisa Mueller's poem, What the Dog Perhaps Hears. Can a dog really hear spiders breathing, roots descending, a child growing, the sun bursting through clouds, the breaking of a newborn bird's egg? Indulge me for a further brief digression before we return to Homer's direct concerns. In his poem, Bereavement, Kevin Young focuses on his father's hunting dogs in the days following his father's death. Young's own father, a 61-year-old eye doctor, grew up on a farm in the segregated south in Louisiana. He died suddenly in a hunting accident. The speaker of Young's poem wonders if his father's dogs comprehend that his father's never coming back, that they'll never hear his voice call their names. This is Kevin Young's poem, Bereavement. Behind his house, my father's dogs sleep in kennels. Beautiful, he built just for them. They do not bark. Do they know he is dead? They wag their tails and head. They beg and are fed. Their grief is colossal and forgetful. Each day they wake seeking his voice, their names. By dusk, they seem to unremember everything. To them, even hunger is a game. For that, I envy. For that, I cannot bear to watch them pacing their cage. I try to remember they love best confined space to feel safe. Each day, a saint comes by to feed the pair, and I draw closer the shades. I've begun to think of them as my father's other sons, as kin, brothers in paw. 
my eyes each day thaw. One day, the water cuts off, then back on. They are outside dogs, which is to say, healthy and victorious, purposeful, and one giant muscle like the heart. Dad taught them not to bark, to point out their prey, to stay. Were they there that day? They call me like witnesses and will not say. I ask for their care and their carelessness, wish of them forgiveness. I must give them away. I must find for them homes, sleep restless in his. All night I expect they pace as I do, each dog like an eye, roaming with the dead beneath an unlocked lid. That's Kevin Young's poem, Bereavement. Unlike Odysseus's son, Telemachus, Kevin Young did take care of his father's dogs. As he said in an interview in 2014 on Fresh Air, he found good homes for them. The dog's grief, the poem says, is colossal and forgetful. Each day they wake, seeking his voice, their names. That's probably what Argos endured for the twenty years of Odysseus's absence. Let's return to Homer, this time with a focus on Odysseus's response to the death of his long-abandoned dog, Argos. Recall that at the threshold to his home, Odysseus reacts to this outcast dog. Homer says he looked away, wiping a salt tear from his cheek. The contemporary poet Michael Collier explains his personal memory of reading about this episode in his poem, Argos. Collier defines the bugaboo of most any student of literature, overwhelmed by the length of their reading assignments, they are convinced that reading for the plot is of prime importance. What gets missed with this strategy? Michael Collier tells us in his poem, Argos. If you think Odysseus too strong and brave to cry, that the God-loved, God-protected hero, when he returned to Ithaca disguised, intent to check up on his wife and candidly apprise the condition of his kingdom, steeled himself resolutely against surprise and came into his land cold-hearted, clear-eyed, ready for revenge, then you read Homer as I did, too fast, knowing you'd be tested for plot and major happenings, skimming forward to the massacre, the shambles engineered with Telemachus by turning beggar and taking up the challenge of the bow. Reading this way, you probably miss the tear Odysseus shed for his decrepit dog, Argos, 
who's nothing but a bag of bones asleep atop a refuse pile outside the palace gates. The dog is not a god in earthly clothes, but in its own disguise of death and destitution is more like Ithaca itself. And if you returned home after 20 years, you might weep for the hunting dog you long ago abandoned, rising from the garbage of its bed. Its instinct of recognition still intact, enough will to wag its tail, lift its head, but little more. Years ago, you had the chance to read that page more closely, but instead you raced ahead. Like Odysseus, cocksure with your plan. Now the past is what you study, where guile and speed give over to grief, so you might stop and desiring to weep, weep more deeply. That's Michael Collier's poem, Argos. Homer risked sentimentality in this homecoming episode. Earlier in the story, he depicts Odysseus weeping when he's disturbed by the loss of life at Troy, or when he's eager, at times, to return home after such a long absence away from those who presume he's long dead. Collier claims Homer struck a universal chord, one as true in ancient Greece as in the 21st century. He says, If you returned home after 20 years, you might weep for the hunting dog you long ago abandoned. It's likely Homer never fought in a war, never served as a king, never spent seven years on an island with a goddess, never visited the afterlife. All experiences Odysseus engaged him. But let's presume Homer knew what it was like to be close to a faithful dog. The poet William Matthews focuses on Homer's dog, not Odysseus's Argos. He focuses on the faithful companion of the poet, not the war hero. Matthews builds his poem on the assumption passed down for nearly three millennia that Homer, the poet, was blind, that his lack of sight granted him insight to channel the stories of the divine and the humans guided by the divine. Matthews adopts a dog's eye view in his poem, Homer's Seeing Eye Dog. The dog speaks and sets us straight on what it was like to serve the greatest ancient Greek poet. This is William Matthews' poem, Homer's Seeing Eye Dog. Most of the time he worked, a sort of sleep with a purpose, so far as I could tell. How he got from the dark of sleep to the dark of waking up, I'll never know. The lax, sprawl sleep allowed him began to set from the edges in like a custard, and then he was awake. Me too, of course, wriggling my ears, 
while he unlocked his bladder and stream of dopey wake-up jokes. The one about the wine-dark pea I hated instantly. I stood at the ready, like a god in an epic, but there was never much to do. Oh, now and then, I'd make a sure intervention, save a life, whatever. But my exploits don't interest you, and of his life, all I can say is that when he poured out his work, the best of it was gone, and then he died. He was a great man, and I loved him. Not a whimper about his sex life. How I detest your prurience. But here's a farewell literary tip. I, myself, am the model for Penelope. Don't snicker, you hairless moron. I know so well what faithful means. There's not even a word for it in dog. I just embody it. I think you bipeds have a catchphrase for it. To thine own self be true. Though like a blind man's shadow, the second half is only there for those who know it's missing. Merely a dog, I'll tell you what it is. As if you had a choice. That's William Matthews' poem, Homer's Seeing Eye Dog. Somehow, Homer's dog knows the maxim Polonius asserts so many centuries later in Hamlet, to thine own self be true. But he fills it out with his canine sense of irony, as if you had a choice. Like Argos, Homer's unnamed seeing-eye dog embodies faithfulness. Recall that Penelope waits 20 years for the return of her husband, with no credible foreknowledge that he's even alive. Homer's seeing-eye dog gives us a major tip on the creative process behind the Odyssey. I myself am the model for Penelope, Homer's dog says. Hmm. Did Homer derive a sense of Penelope's faithfulness from a dog? Well, why not? Has your dog ever indicated he wants to move to another town and leave you behind? Thank you for listening to Poems for Company today. If you go to kmun.org, you may click on the podcast page to find this and other episodes, as well as a list of all the poems read here. And if you play this podcast again, let your dog listen in. Our theme music is Philip Auberg's Going to the Sun, available on his CD, live from Montana at sweetgrassmusic.com. Thank you.